Blog Talk Radio. Show. If you go to TurchoCons.com, 
you'll see it right at the top, that beautiful that beautiful ram who's ready to ram it with a microphone rammed it in his face, a uh, post from Douglas, and it's called It's Tertial Tuesday. Bring me the finest Cheetos in all the land. Uh, I'll be monitoring that thread throughout the show. Of course, this is Tertial Radio brought to you by our brand-new sponsor for the only Rams podcast that focuses on Rams football and socks, Monsanto Socks. You buy them, we dry them. That's right. Good socks from the people over in Monsanto. But, no, it's going to be a fun show. Like I mentioned, Katie Drummond and VT Rams fan coming on throughout the hour, but we're going to need your calls. So, recap in the Atlanta game. What? Where do we start? It's really hard to figure out what's going on with this team throughout two games. You look across the NFL, there's a lot of teams that have so much to, uh, to figure out. Obviously, with the Rams going to Dallas next weekend, that's a team certainly on our sites that has plenty of uh, – questions to ask of itself that doesn't have a ton of answers. That division as a whole between Dallas, Philly, Washington, and the Giants, I don't know that anybody's really looked all that incredible. Obviously, there's a storyline out of Philadelphia, but uh, Washington almost made a game of that at the end, and that could be a totally different-looking conference, uh, despite the fact of, you know, two one and one teams, two oh and two teams, RG3 hobbled, Eli Manning looking like evil, Eli Manning instead of angelic. Uh, Manning face providing Eli Manning. Dallas, certainly an interesting case. We'll talk to Katie later on. I'm going to save some of those good insults for later. Um, who else? You look at the North. The North is an interesting division. Detroit, obviously, with the Dominican Sioux, has some, or as as Ryan, uh, patron saint of Tertio Radio and Tertio Times, would call him in Dominican uh, uh certainly has some storylines headed their way. Uh, but as long as you got Calvin Johnson leading that uh, passing attack, they're going to have a game in front of them. Chicago's up at 2-0. They're leading the division right now, but I don't know that they're all that strong through their first two games. They had a uh, difficult contest this weekend in Minnesota, only one by one point. We're able to pick Cincinnati by three, both of those games at home. So they're going to head on the road to face Pittsburgh, who looked uh, lackluster at best, I guess you could say, on Monday night. They've got the Sunday night game that we'll see on uh, NBC with Carrie Underwood, whose song everybody is, uh, I'm sure, downloaded on their iPad at this point to listen to at least 20 hours a day, as is mandated by the conjoined government of Roger Goodell and President Obama. Then they'll head to Detroit. I don't know why I've got a, uh, I'm contracting a cold right around showtime. I'm expecting Mrs. Ryson, Anthrax, uh, Walter White somehow is involved. I don't know what's going on, but somehow my face is exploding. We'll make it work. Um, Back to Chicago, uh, they've got Pittsburgh and Detroit on the road. So in terms of the NFC North, I don't know that there's anything really stand out through these first two games. Green Bay is one and one. They probably looked the best, obviously, uh, handled Washington with ease, but struggled really against San Francisco, who lost that big game to Seattle. So across the NFC, it's really just New Orleans and Seattle that really stand out as the big 2-0 and teams. A lot of stuff left to figure out over these next couple weeks, and it's an NFC weekend for the St. Louis Rams as they go into Dallas. But they had a contest in Atlanta that, you know, they put themselves in position to contest uh, despite some early struggles on both sides of the ball. And what I thought was interesting, and this is probably something we'll have to rehash with Cage when he comes on looking ahead to Dallas in terms of what is trends and what what are trends and what are anomalies, is that when you look at the Dallas and the Arizona games for the Rams, you had essentially four big mistakes for the Rams against Arizona. Two of them got repeated against Atlanta. If you look at the two mistakes against Arizona that the Rams didn't really repeat against Atlanta, it was the big catch by Michael Floyd, deep in coverage, a really lucky catch, and let's be honest, the coverage wasn't bad by Cortland Finnegan, but Michael Floyd made a heck of a play. And then the obvious one that was a little bit different that we didn't see in this last game, thankfully, was Jared Cook sprinting towards the end zone, getting the ball stripped by uh, Teron Matthew right before the goal line. So those were two plays, a, a missed opportunity on a touchdown, 
and that ended up in the touchback and then the big catch by Michael Floyd. They didn't really get any of those on the field, but we saw two big plays that were repeated and they're problems. Amid, amid all the other problems, these are big problems. You've got the pick six against uh, Arizona. It was the batted pass right near the end zone that Sam threw into the defensive line that was finished off for a touchdown. Against Atlanta, it was a pass to Daryl Richardson that looked to be in his hands. He was defended relatively well, but uh, the ball got popped up, ended up in the OCU and yours hands, and he was able to convert that into a touchdown for Atlanta. So the Rams certainly have a lot to work on in terms of ball security. And no moose knuckles. I don't Marco Rubio this mofo. My my nose, if it runs all damn day, it's going to run under my keyboard. I will not do a pole in the spring on you guys. You deserve better. Um, that's coming from the thread as well from moose knuckles. Again, throw your stuff in the thread. We're still on the Atlanta game. I mentioned the two mistakes they had. They had the pick six. The other one was the blown coverage in, in adjustment. In week one, it was Cortland Finnegan standing up against uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Blown coverage. This week, it was Janoris Jenkins on Julio Jones. Now, one of the one of the themes. There's a couple of themes that run throughout these games. Certainly, the coverage shell is one of them. Penalties is another. But I think maybe the standout issue through these first two games that's worth being concerned about is coaching. Um, I think when you talk about you know the fact that the Rams have faced some good passing teams with star star receivers, Julio Jones and. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald obviously are names to remember, and so Larry Fitzgerald is not a name to remember. We've known him for years. Julio Jones is going to make his bones in this league. He's getting up there. Uh, I, I think I've beat it to death that I've been a fan of his since pretty much his freshman year at Alabama. Wish he could have been a St. Louis Ram, but time moves on. Who knows? Maybe the business end will catch up on things and he'll find himself in St. Louis by the end of his career. But as it stands right now, he's somebody that put a thorn in our sides moving forward because he really hurt us, had a big game against us on Sunday. Uh, it's obviously with somebody of his talent that's somebody you have to focus on, and, and it's a little bit disconcerting. Despite the fact they got Matt Ryan at quarterback, you think you do a better job on Julio Jones when you got the, the defensive line that we do and the cornerbacks that we do, and he still ends up with 11 catches for 182 yards and a touchdown on that broken play. That's, that's just not the kind of game you want to put together. Even And this is one thing I talk about a lot is a lot of times you'll have a good game plan and a good performance that limits somebody to one mistake where you hold a running back, you know, 10 carries, 35 yards, and you bust one for 50. Uh, kind of like Steven Jackson performance in week one for Atlanta. Or a wide receiver that has six catches, five of them go for maybe 40 yards, 30 yards, and then he busts one wide open. That wasn't the case for Julio Jones. I mean, you take that 81-yard touchdown away, he still finished 10 catches for just over 100 yards. So that was a pretty complete performance on 14 targets, only didn't catch three of them. That's something that the Rams need to worry about, and I think part of it comes down to coaching, the coverage sale, the penalties, the fact that they've had two weeks now where they've had a blown coverage on a receiver that you can't afford to have blown coverages on, and both times it showed you why. Larry Fitzgerald and Julio Jones both converted those into touchdowns. We can't afford that. So moving forward into the Dallas game, it, it, there's a lot of question marks. I think the offensive line is going to be one. I don't know how cohesive of a, a piece Roger Saffold was, but Dallas has a, an impressive front seven. We're going to talk to Katie Drummond about that coming up from blogging the boys. Um, they've got some issues at the back of that defense, certainly. But I think in week one against Eli Manning, they showed they are uh, more than willing to play some aggressive defense and try to force some takeaways. They got, what was that, a handful or six? I guess I might as well bring that up now since uh, Katie's coming on the show. We need a five or six uh, turnovers, and that's something that any team is going to likely pull a win out of. For Dallas, it ended up being only a five-point win, so that's something we're going to talk about as well, the fact that Dallas could force as many turnovers as, as they had. I'm pulling it up right now. So Eli finished with 
three interceptions, and obviously with David Wilson, the fumbles, you ended up with, let's see, you had three fumbles lost from New York in the three interceptions, so you had six total turnovers. To only win a game uh, by five points where you're seeded five turnovers, that's one of the kind of things that's going to imbue you with a lot of confidence, but we'll see what what they have to say on the Cowboys side of things with KD when he comes on in effect. Um but, yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting uh, situation for the Rams now. Two games in, we've seen two games where things looked a bit out of hand at halftime, and they were still able to come back. Now, yeah, I wish they weren't in those holes in the first place, but you got to give credit to the defense and the defensive line for locking down in those two second halves, uh, both in terms of bringing the pressure. Guys like Robert Quinn, obviously, who has performed really, really well early in the season. But I think some of the adjustments, and especially the linebackers, in the second half of games have tightened things up, including Alec Ogletree. I think in terms of his first game as a rookie for somebody who wasn't the celebrated rookie in the offseason that Tavon Austin was, I think he's looked pretty impressive. And, you know, a lot of it is natural skill. We knew he was an athlete. We knew he had closing speed. Uh, but, you know, you look at that first game, the Rams, uh, the Cardinals came out in that third quarter and were able to get two touchdowns and jump out to that 24-13 lead. Rams came back and erased an 11-point deficit in the fourth quarter, scoring their own 14 points and limiting years over there, relatively nothing nothing in scoring-wise, but really shut down that offense throughout the entire fourth quarter. You look at the second game, the Falcons, and for the third quarter, it was pretty much all Rams. They did The Rams did a great job against Air, uh, Atlanta, uh, making some adjustments to that uh, offense in terms of what they wanted to do defensively. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the coverage shell and how they want to come out early because Dallas has weapons. They got Des Bryant, they got Miles Austin. They have say what you will about Tony Romo, but there's a reason people talk about him to be as productive as he has been over the course of these last couple of years, about a half decade. Um, and you throw in Jason Witten, a, a competent, if not very special receiving tight end. They've got weapons, and the, the Rams are going to have to be prepared for that. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that same lovely shell that we've seen for a while. Now, I, got, I just got an interesting tweet, man. We're going we're to have to bring this up. I'm going to throw this at everybody. I just got a tweet from Joe Barksdale, the right tackle of the St. Louis Rams. Quote, I'd love to appear in the show talking about Tershaw Radio. So we're going to see if we can make that happen. That's fun. That's fun to have a tweet like that in the middle of the show. Uh, we'll see what we can do about getting Joe Barksdale on Tershaw Radio next week. Uh, we're going to try to keep it every Tuesday, even though that means no Brandon Burkhead. Look, if we can get Joe Barksdale on the show, I guess Brandon will have to uh, take a back seat. We'll do what we can. Um, so that's what we got in terms of the Atlanta game and moving forward into the Dallas game. Uh, one, a couple of good things that we can uh, lean on. You got two good performances from Sam Bradford. I've talked about that through the offseason that I thought this was a make-or-break season for Sam. If you're judging based on the first two games, this is the next season. Sam looked really, really good. He made one mistake early. Um, in the Arizona game with that pick six and the batted pass, I don't think you can put the D. Rich bobbled, flubbed, molested, whatever kind of uh, adjective you want to put in. I'll throw a molested out there. We don't talk about we don't talk about some molestation defense. We're going to go there. I'm not afraid to throw any adjective out there on Tertia Radio. That's why Joe Barksdale is willing to come on the show. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't think you throw that on Sam. I think he's had two really good performances. The basic stats bear that out in terms of touchdowns. You saw him really command the offense in the second half and get Tavon Austin his first couple of touchdowns as a rookie. The run defense has been spectacular, and I think with this defensive line, that's something that we can expect more often than not. 
is to see this defensive line anchor or run defense that's going to be much better than it was in years past. And maybe that's the best segue because a couple of years ago we thought that Marco Murray set the record for the most rushing yards ever uh, for a Dallas Cowboy. And that's more than uh, Emmitt Smith could ever put in a single performance of the Dallas Cowboys, which has to be a little irksome for somebody like KD Drummond from Blog of the Boys who we're bringing on now to Tertiary Radio. KD, my man, what's going on, bro? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me on today. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Hey, a couple of years ago, like I was referencing, the, the Rams came to uh, the mountaintop in Irving, or I guess in Arlington. Um, it, you know, it, it was a brand new stadium. It needed to be christened. So I think you guys owe us a housewarming gift that we presented to y'all and to Marco Murray on that day. Uh, I, I don't remember seeing a performance of run defense that was that horrific. And when you when you allow somebody like DeMarco Murray to break a record like Emmett Smith, I think that's a fair assessment. Well, were there any memories that you had from that game or from maybe the entire history of your time being a fan of the Cowboys and their games with the Rams that, that leaves maybe a thorn in your side or a memory that you'd like to erase or something you want you want the Cowboys to really address this year? Is there anything about the Cowboys-Rams that you, that you have at the top of your mind? Well, I think that you can honestly say that those are the Cowboys have had some of their best moments, at least the recent vintage Cowboys against the Rams. Obviously, the DeMarco Murray game, uh, where he vaulted into the top 10 of all time in single game rushing yardage, uh, that was a tremendous coming out party. Obviously, Felix Jones was injured for that game, that's how he got his break. Uh, funny story amongst Cowboys fans, we talk about how, uh, apprehensive Jason Garrett is about playing young guys and he kind of has to be forced into it. Uh, I think we saw that in that situation with DeMarco Murray busting out. But for me, my favorite all-time play of the recent Vintage Cowboys is, is the Tony Romo, uh, you know, a snap over his head, brace, kick the ball a couple times, and then still get the first down. So myself personally, I'm, I'm definitely loving the Rams-Cowboys rivalry. Fair enough. I, I can I can understand why you, why your memories lean on that side. My, me personally, I remember Steven Jackson uh, working that defensive line back. I think it was 2007, um, and, and really putting together uh, some hope for a team that at the time was coming off the end of the greatest show on turf and looking to usher in a new era. We did usher in a new era. It was the kind of era we didn't want to usher in, and it's <laughs> taken us a couple of years to get back on the better side of things. But it looks like we're getting there. Um, let's talk about the Cowboys specifically. Uh, two games into this season, uh, uh, what's what's the right term for this? A crazy, a entertaining, a confusing, an Eli Manning despicable performance uh, to open the season. Sunday night football, Dallas, New York, those six turnovers. You guys get a, a big win to start off the season. And then a disappointing one-point loss in Kansas City, kind of a letdown, I think, despite the fact Kansas City is probably a better team than a lot of people realize in, in an ESPN-driven media age. They're not really focusing on Kansas City, and it's unfortunate because they've got better pieces than people understand. What, how, what are the big takeaways that you've got from Dallas so far two games into the season? Well, it's an up-and-down team, and unfortunately that's kind of been how we've been describing Dallas over the last couple seasons. I actually um, – made a comment on Twitter the other day that ever since Jason Garrett took over for Wade Phillips, he won his first two games. Uh, you know, Cowboys obviously were in the doldrums at that point. He won his first two games. But since then, Cowboys are 20-20 and 20 under Jason Garrett. That's over the last 40 games, stretching over, you know, back to the 2010 season. And it's pretty much been that roller coaster for Cowboys fans. We win a couple games, we get excited, we lose, we start off slowly, we heat it up, we lose. And it's kind of been the same up and down performance over the last couple of years. And 
along those lines or along that time, we've actually been transforming the roster. There's only, uh, I think it's less than 15 people that remain on the team now from 2010. So it's not as if they've been remaining stagnant and just treading water, but they, they have been making over the roster. But it's a frustrating thing to go through when you think they finally got things fixed and then they turn around and, you know, do what they did in Kansas City. And I agree completely with what you said. Kansas City is a much better team than people give them credit for. They had uh, six pro bowlers, five if you don't count the punter, uh, even though the punter was the co-MVP in my Punters mind count, man. in the game Punters that we just count. lost. Come on, man. Oh yeah, no. Punters count. Dustin Dustin Cole quit. He killed us in the game last last uh, on Sunday. Um, there were there were two punts. One that we downed to the one that we were fortunate enough that somebody ran out of bounds where they would have pinned us uh, when we were trying to come back in the fourth in the fourth quarter. And then the final punt he downed it at the four yard line. Uh, so there was absolutely no hope for any kind of hail mary or anything like that. So I definitely give him credit. But Kansas City was handcuffed by bad coaching and bad quarterback play. They fixed that. Shocker. So, Shocker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who would have thought that would happen? You know, if you don't have either one of those, you're not going to be good. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how that happens in today's NFL. Um, but overall, as far as the, the Dallas side, it was definitely still disappointing because out of the two teams, Dallas was the only one that had – oh, man, we should have had that play moments. You know, it wasn't as if Kansas City left things on the table the way Dallas did. Um, the fumbles that Dallas had, those hurt, obviously. Uh, they were getting momentum when Lance Dunbar fumbled and then the Tony Romo fumble when he was strip, uh, the strip sack. That hurt. We had two dropped interceptions. One would have been a sure pick six. We had a Des Bryant uh, when he was two yards behind Brandon Flowers along the right sideline. Uh, he dropped that. That could have actually gone the distance. So Dallas left a lot of opportunity out there for them to have come away with a 2-0 record. Um, so we're, we're at a point where we're still wondering what the identity of this team is going to be. We're still transforming into this zone blocking scheme. I don't know if it's working because there are no holes for DeMarco Murray to run in. Um, it's just it's just a question mark all along. It, pretty much everything that we thought we knew about the team, Romo can throw deep. That's gone away. Uh, he has the worst uh, yards per attempt, uh, I think, in the last four or five years of his career this so far this season. And obviously two games is too small a sample size to make any sweeping generalizations about, but there is definitely cause for concern about exactly what this team is made of. Yeah, and before we get back into the roster, you kind of referenced something, and I know reading blogging the boys uh, over the past 48, 72 hours is something i got to address. And being from Dallas, I know this is at the front of everybody back in my hood, is the coaching staff, man. The J- Jason Garrett, head coach, went into this season uh, with not the kind of headlines you want to have associated with your head coach. Uh, Bill Callahan uh, was – What's the right? Again, I'm I'm almost at a loss of words. Not the most popular guy over at Blogging the Boys over the last 48 hours. And you guys have a staff, a coaching staff that is stacked. Yeah, it's not just Bill Callahan, an offense coordinator. You got Wade Wilson as the QB coach, Gary Brown, a former running back for the Oilers and, and New York Giants. He actually was the number two running back uh, for the Oilers while my cousin was the number three back in the day. You got Derek Dooley, the former uh, head coach at Tennessee, as wide receivers. You got Ron Marinelli at the defensive line. You got Monty Kiffin as defensive coordinator. That's a lot of Chiefs and not a ton of Indians on the team that's already got Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones at the top, man. What is going on with the coaching staff? Well, first of all, you have to get the name right. It is not Ron Marinelli and Monty Kiffin. It is the Montanelli. (laughs) That's the name of the Dallas Cowboys defensive brass right I think, there. Uh, the I think I went out to I went out to eat at uh, Paisano's the other week, and I had a Montanelli with extra marinara sauce. I didn't know that they, they all had a 
y'all had an entree coaching. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to tell you, man, I love that portion of our coaching staff right now. What they've done with this defensive line, we're getting pressure all over the place. Um, they were stout against the run up until the game-clinching drive by Kansas City, which is actually something that we've seen probably one time too often in Dallas and not being able to close out the deal or get off the field when they really need to. Uh, but for the most part, they've been really good against the run so far this season, and they're getting a lot of pressure out of that front four. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. We're just getting Anthony Spencer back. Uh, Jay Radcliffe will probably, hopefully, knock on wood, come back midseason. Uh, so on that front, we're happy. The thing with Bill Callahan taking over the play calling, uh, this was kind of obviously the big deal over the offseason when it came to the Cowboys. Everybody wanted to talk about it. When Jason Garrett announced Bill Callahan was even coming to the staff a couple of years ago in his introductory press conference, he said, he admitted straight out, that he would have no problem handing over the play calling duties to Callahan uh, once he got familiar with the offense. So the fact that Dallas media kind of made that into a big deal this summer was a little bit much ado about nothing. Uh, but the problem is now that he had that Bill Callahan, Bill Callahan has the play calling people aren't happy because it seems like the vertical offense has kind of gone away from Dallas, and that's what we're known for. Uh, Jason Garrett, uh, Eric Coriel, you look deep first, and then you come back in your progressions as opposed to, you know, West Coast offense where it's short stuff first and foremost. Um, so we haven't seen that, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact of Tony Romo's rib injury. Um, in the game against Kansas City, you saw even the deep balls that he threw, they were more lollipops, teardrop type of passes as opposed to being lasers, uh, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of loft on the ball when he was throwing it deep. And then it seemed to me, as his painkillers seemed to wear off, that's where his accuracy went. So I know for a fact, based on the first game, when he got his ribs hurt, his deep ball was non-existent. He tried to throw something to Des Bryant. He threw up a dark wing duck. It had no chance of making it anywhere near the receiver. And I think that might be in play what we're seeing right now to go along with the confusion of trying to learn how Callahan is going to call things. Um, it's a lot of stuff going on with the Dallas offense right now. And, again, we're, as fans, we're hopeful that they get it worked out because we know how many weapons we have, and we have to be able to exploit that. I'm probably still that darkwing duck from you, brother. So I'm a fan of that. I, I like that. I like the way that came off. But although I got to express some surprise, Dallas media getting overhyped about the Cowboys. It's crazy. I, I, I never I, thought I I'd see the day. It, it'd be like Washington media getting overhyped about the Redskins. You'd, you'd never see that. That never happens. Um, let's get into the I mean, because you know. Kirk Cousins needs to start right now. You know, that's that's I've heard, I've heard. Apparently RG three needs to be benched. Mike Shanahan needs to get fired and uh everything everything will just turn around for the Redskins. And for those of y'all that don't know, K D and I both actually live in the D C area, so uh yep. we are inoculated by the best of Redskins related media on a daily basis. Uh just let it be known the Redskins pretty much have already won the Super Bowl. We're just playing out the rest of the season to see how it happens. Yes. Uh, everybody can just uh, let their teams stay quietly into the night because RG3, apparently his knee is going to get replaced by a double cheeseburger from Shake Shack, and they're going to just roll <laughs> through the playoffs on everybody. So uh, but, uh, it was but fun Joe, times. The, it was fun times. Joe, the, the funny thing is I can't find any of my neighbors. They were everywhere <laughs> come August, but right now none of my neighbors exist anymore. I think I live in a deserted town because nobody comes crazy. out to say anything about my Cowboys flags. So. <laughs> I stopped by to pick up uh, a package today at the store, and all of a sudden the Redskins gear was 50% off. I was like, hold on, man. This is uh, a premium. All of a sudden, I, was, I don't know what happened. I guess it's just time for a sale. Who knows? 
But that's the risk is they got their own problems. Obviously, the Cowboys and Rams, we got stuff in front of us we got to discuss. Uh, pulling this over to the roster side of stuff, KD, man, I, I'll talk about this offensive line. I know you talked about the offense as a whole, the Romo commanding stuff. Actually, let me throw a question from uh, – the commenter since we got one in here. It was from Free Wheeler too. Asking how how do you feel about Romo kind of commanding the calls for the offense and having that capability? What do you feel about Romo and his play calling skills? His response skills once he gets to the line? Well, I, I think Romo's always done a lot at the line of scrimmage anyway. Um whether they're uh increasing the number of package plays, um I I think there's a little bit too much of a deal made out of that about what you know what was talked over the uh over the off season for years. Romo has been yelling, kill, kill, kill of the line, where he's gone to the line and he's had a pass play, he's had a run play to choose from, uh, and he's made that determination out of the line. So it's always been there. Whether it's increased as far as him, his, his uh, participation in the game planning, it, it, it's tough to say right now. Um, again, his, his yards per attempt is down tremendously. Whether that's from the injury or whether that's from the, you know, leaving Jason Garrett being the play caller and him looking for – for more downfield stuff, or whether it's a result of Romo and Callahan taking over those duties and kind of molding how they want the offense to go. The main problem is that the Dallas Cowboys still have no running game, and that's what everything is uh, is predicated on. If the defense doesn't have to respect the run, they are going to be able to have more people in coverage, and things are going to be more difficult. The offensive line is still not fixed. I looked at some stats We've been talking as if the offensive line has been fixed. They're actually on a pace to have more sacks allowed this year than they did last year. So although we are pleasantly surprised that Doug Free is no longer a turnstile at right tackle, the interior of the offensive line is still struggling. And the fact that Tony Romo is getting hit so much, and obviously you saw what happened with the Giants when they sandwiched him uh, and hurt his ribs, uh, the, the offense just isn't working correctly. And, we can sit here and pontificate about what exactly is the cause of that, but nobody knows unless they're in those in 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 those meeting rooms uh, exactly how much influence Rum was having on the game plan and how much influence he's having at the line of scrimmage because he's always had some, he's always had some influence to make those decisions at the line and change plays and check out of plays, audibleize things of that nature. Good stuff. I, I'm going to segue from that in a sec. Just want to remind people you listen to KD Drummond from Blogging the Boys. I'm actually going to be on tomorrow night on uh, – is it your show or is it Blogging the Boys show? Yeah, it's, it's my show, Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. Definitely appreciate you uh, jumping on and educating my listeners to what's going on with the Rams and, well, the new-look Rams under Jeff Fisher. It's all good, man. I just got to take a sick day tomorrow to get my stuff in order. I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about half the time. I'm going to have to do some research tomorrow <laughs> to get ready for the show. Um, I do want to oh, say man, the you're, you're selling yourself short. I got to mention. No, go ahead. What's up? No, nah, I was just saying you're selling yourself short, man. You know what you're talking about. We'll see. Yeah, well, let's wait until <laughs> Thursday morning before you throw that out. We still got another show to do tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about the the issues with the offensive line and the fact, you know, Romo signed that, uh, what was it, seven-year extension, I think. Seven or six years, you know, he's signed. Yeah, six six years uh, on top of the current year, seven total. There you go. So he's through 19, I guess. Uh, I had an expensive clip, understandably. But, you know, so much has been made about Roman. There's not a ton invested in that offensive line. And I know, you know, historically going back for more than a decade now, the Cowboys philosophically has all, have always built a, a really, really big line. They've always wanted a lot of size on that offensive line. So you got Tyron Smith at the left tackle. I brought them all up here. Six foot five, three eighteen. 
Doug Freed on the other side, six foot six, three twenty five. You got Mackenzie Bernardo, six foot four, three thirty three. That's a big man out of Bentley, his sixth year in the league. Ronald Leary, six foot three thirty one. And then obviously Travis Frederick, the, the headline grabbing draft pick out of the first round for you guys, six foot three, three eleven. How much do you think is a, a philosophical clash between kind of the new NFL that's that's seemingly more and more built on speed and athleticism and not built on the kind of old-school physicality and just crush your opponent. How much of that is starting to catch up with that offensive line, and how much of it is just chemistry and coaching at this point? And how is Travis Frederick playing so Well, I, I don't think that's so much the issue for Dallas. Um, Teron Smith is by far one of the most athletic left tackles that you're going to find in NFL football. Uh, whether or not he has the requisite strength, at this point, to be able to handle some of the power, uh, that, that is a question mark, but he definitely has the feet and the hands and the athletic ability to, uh, to, to keep up with any speed rusher. Um, Doug Free is a very athletic guy for right tackle when he's in shape. Now, he hasn't been in shape the last couple of years. Uh, his, footwork, his footwork has gone to hell the last couple of years, but at his best, he is capable of being that athletic guy. With him, the problem is definitely the amount of power he has. So even though these are big guys, they're more athletic speed guys to kind of uh, try to neutralize that speed rush around the edge. The power is the issue. The power was the issue when it came to Phil Coster, who was our former center. He used to get bull rush very easily, especially against three, four nose tackles. He stood no chance against big bodies in the middle. That's part of the reason why we went out and got Travis Frederick. What it looks like right now is, even though Travis Frederick was bench-pressing Volkswagens while he was at Wisconsin, his functional strength still left a little bit to be desired, and we're trying to work on building that up. Um, the guard play for the Dallas Cowboys over the last couple of years has been horrid. Uh, we got Ron Leary in there. He was a UDFA. We rated him as a third-rounder, probably overrated a little bit. Uh, he would probably have been a fifth-rounder if it wasn't for his degenerative knee condition. But he's starting for us now, and we are finally going to be able to get rid of Mac Bernadow as we signed Brian Waters, and we brought him along the first couple of weeks. He finally got four series in, so I would expect him – if he doesn't start against the Rams, to at least play the majority of the game, half the game at least, as we try to work the uh, the 36-year-old vet into the system. So there is hope on the interior of the offensive line, but that's still going to be the main problem. You can still shoot the A-gaps on the Dallas Cowboys, um, you know, pretty much at will. I'm terrified of what your front four is going to do against us in this game. I think that is by far going to be the key whether or not our guys on the interior, Leary, Frederick, and Waters, will be able to maintain. Um, I know Robert Quinn is beasting out for you guys, but I'm actually pretty confident in what our tackles can do. It's all it's going to be all about the interior of that line for me this this game on Sunday. Yeah, there's going to be a fun matchup, something we're going to talk about on the side the rest of the week, and obviously something I'll try to bring up tomorrow on the show. Um, let's switch over to the defense. Obviously, between you know DeMarcus Ware, Anthony Spencer, and even George Selby, a former Ram who was really impressed early on this season, throwing Bruce. The linebackers, I'm, I really like your linebackers, Bruce Carter, Sean Lee, just the Rams starting off, but uh, solid depth in Hershey Sims, Kyle Bosworth, Devontae Holloman. I think the questions for you guys, obviously, are defensive tackle and the secondary outside of Morris Claiborne. Which of those two units between the interior defensive line and the secondary do you have more faith in and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Is that too hard? Do I need to go back? No. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me. Let me. Let me. Um. Let me phone a friend. Hold on. Let me. That's my. Um, I, I didn't force think... these questions to KB, y'all. He's, this is this is off the dome. This is freestyle radio. 
so I apologize for that. It's a little bit less nah, professional, but you know what it is when you come to Church on Radio. What's up, Jenny? It, it is it's not a problem, man. I would say this. Jason Hatcher is by far our second-best defensive lineman. He is a terror at defensive tackle. I love him at the three technique. We were actually going to play him at the one tech until uh, Jay Ratliff got injured, but he is at home as a three tech and very worried about losing him to free agency next year, even though he's over the age of 30. Brandon Carr has been bowling out at cornerback. The issue has been we don't have any depth at defensive tackle, and the rest of the secondary is questionable. Uh, Morris Claiborne is having a horrible year. He missed most of the preseason with a bad knee injury. He came back, dislocated his shoulder in the first game. He's having a hell of a time right now. Barry Church has been decent at one of the safety positions, and even though Will Allen has one interception, dropped another one, he's looked out of place. The main problem with our pass defense has been the fact that the linebackers are learning that they need to drop back into zone, and that has caused some wide-open holes in the middle of the field where they should be taking away the underneath. Um, it, it happened against the Giants uh, many, many times. The Victor Cruz touchdown was the prime example uh, uh, of how that broke down. Sean Lee was supposed to drop back. He got sucked up on play action. You can actually see in the stills where Dallas had eight men running to the line of scrimmage, nobody in the middle of the field, and that's something that they have to get under wraps under this new Montanelli defense where the linebackers have so much coverage responsibility. Bruce Carter is an instrument, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Montanelli, man, the Montanelli. Stamp it down. <laughs> I got to get used to it. Yeah, it, it, don't worry. You'll get used to it on Sunday. Oh, wait, wait no, this is friendly. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be talking trash. I apologize. You can do that. I'll, let, I'll let you get some in as long as I get mine in tomorrow night. Um, I understand. <laughs> let, let, let's take one more question because I want to try to squeeze the call in before we bring on this guest in terms of the playoffs. What what are the expectations in Dallas at this point? Obviously, you know, you got a coaching staff that's going to get so much scrutiny among the local media and a team, a franchise that is on uh, on the national consciousness regardless of, of what really happens in Dallas. Everybody pays attention to the Cowboys to some degree. What are, what are the expectations for this team at this point? And, and maybe if you need to divide it, what were the expectations going into the season and have those changed after two games? And that's exactly where I was going to go with it. Collectively, we're a wounded, we're a wounded fan base. Right now, it's oh my God, we'll never escape eight and eight. This is our destiny. As long as Jason Garrett is here, as long as Tony Romo is our quarterback, we're going to be eight and eight for eternity. Again, two games, too small sample size. Going into the season, everybody was saying ten and six or better. Playoffs, not a problem. That's, I can, that's my Cowboys time. fan base. I, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they were saying this is not going to be a problem. The only thing we have to worry about is RG3 in the division. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, but we, we were all excited and, and ready to go. We did obviously have some question marks, but we thought that we had made enough improvements in other areas uh, that we were going to be better than last year. First and foremost, strictly being uh, being healthy just recovering from the injuries that we had last year. We, we lost the third most amount of man games of all NFL teams last year, uh, and it was just whole because it was all, all centered around the defense. Um, but the issues that we had or we thought we would have, they are kind of solved. We solved our special teams problem with a lot of moves we made right before the deadline. Special teams have been awesome. But now we have holes where we didn't think we had holes before the vertical passing game. Um, so right now it's, it's a lot of hand-wringing over what's going on with Dallas, but I think the calm fan, 
the the fan that knows that two games is too small a sample size still knows what this team is capable of. Nine wins, ten wins is still uh, a very real possibility for this team. And all in all, the NFC East kind of sucks. So it's, it, we should be able to get to nine or ten wins and still come away with the division, knock on wood. Good stuff, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. Everybody, you can see why KD is a big a big name around SB Nation. The dude is able to adjust on the fly to some questions I probably should have voiced better. I should have asked it an easier way. But there's a reason why he's a name among men. It's Katie Drummond from Blogging the Boys. Katie, I appreciate you coming on, bro. I'm going to see you tomorrow night. Anytime you need me, man. Appreciate it. I right, Katie Drummond, man. Katie's a good cat. Um, I need to link up with him more since we're both in D.C. Uh, I always get reminded that any anytime I see him on something or See him put something on Black of the Boys. And I was like, man, I need to hook up with KD this moment. Uh, but we're going to make it happen. Um, Church Show Radio, everybody, the call-in number, if you are listening, is 347-857-1022. We're going to have plenty of time. I'm going to bring on DT Rams fan in a minute, uh, one of the favorite members of the staff. Uh, let's see. What questions did I miss? It looks like we got all of that. Cheetos, no, I did not do my Bubba Demps imitation. Uh, quite yet, Doug. I'm gonna get to that, I guess, in a bit. The Bubba Demps. That's one of the. That's more like a Georgia, Alabama type thing. I don't know if I can pull up a Bubba Demps. Uh, you know, Texas, Louisiana is more like a buck, a buck, or a, a buddy. I can do a buck or a buddy, but Bubba. That's one. That's one of those different kind of kind of Southerns. I'll see what I can do. Maybe getting towards the end when we get into it. My college game of the week. Now, that is definitely going to be a goddamn Bubba <laughs> That is a Bubba Dems matchup if we got one. Uh, so maybe the timing's right for Bubba Dems then. Um, the Cowboys still about the wide receivers outside of Des Bryant. Rams low 85. That's my bad. I didn't get to that quite in time. I uh, appreciate you throwing the question at me, but uh, next time we'll get there. Good question from Smith620. I'm glad to see Smith always holding the uh, the the court down for us when we were over at Talks. You know that we switched back to Blog Talk Radio. I'm glad he's in the chat room today. This being a chat room, not quite as – what's the right word? I'm, I'm suffering for words today. As violent, as, uh, as unchild-friendly, as Miley Cyrus-ish as we had over at Talks. But uh, a chat room, nonetheless, a threat nonetheless over at Churchill Times. Um, he, as before the season, Smith did, uh, was the word for the offensive season patience. And, and I think that's a good question. Obviously, he mentions the no huddle hurry up, and that was something that Jeff Fisher addressed this week, saying that it wasn't something they're looking to really go to with more regularity or something they had to do out of necessity. Um, I, I kind of I, I understand what Jeff Fisher is coming from on that, and I understand where fans are coming from to say, look, we didn't really have a ton going before that, and as soon as we turned to it, things opened up. I think the reality is this is part of having a young team, is that there's who's the go-to wide receiver? And I asked that during the game thread and on Twitter during the game. Who, who's the wide receiver on, on this series? I think it was the, the third to last series where we needed a touchdown to pull within the touchdown, to pull within seven. I asked, who's the who's the go-to target here? It wasn't Jared Cook, uh, as we learned. He hadn't done much on the day to that point. He wasn't the target then. Uh, Austin Pettis had been spotty. Tavon Austin had flashed uh, throughout. The rest of the offense hadn't really offered a ton. Chris, uh, Chris Givens had been on and off, but uh, it, it wasn't one of those games where he was getting targeted all that often and pulling in a bunch of passes. And I think that's the question for the Rams moving forward is, when they get in a situation like that, and not necessarily with all the context of the build-up to that point, but let's say we got a, t- a Dallas Cowboys game and the Rams are down by four points 
10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You don't want to leave this to the last second. You want to go in there, get a touchdown, put it up by three, either force the Cowboys to get rid of the ball or kick a field goal so that you got a, a nice situation where you can either win the game and not worry about losing or go to overtime and you still have a chance. Ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Rams are down by four. Who's the wide receiver that when you get a touchback on that kickoff, you're looking to make a, a series out of it? I, I don't know that we have an answer yet. Um, and I, th- I think that's part of, of the difficulty of having a young team and the lack of chemistry. You, you've seen it between Sam and Jared Cook a couple times in the first two games. You've seen it in a lot of the checkdowns on offense. Um, you know, Chris Jones is still figuring out. And don't get me wrong, he had a good game. I think he had five catches for I, – I think he had over 100 yards. He, he had a lot of yardage because he had that 50-yard catch. Um, but he's still figuring it out. He didn't have nearly the targets that Pettis or Austin. Uh, they were free, featured a ton more in the game. But, you know, Chris Gibbons is a guy that's going to work more downfield, obviously, and, and offers that uh, top off of the defense type speed where, uh, you know, Austin Pettis is still working underneath and the touchdown play and driving out possession, kind of the thing that we saw Brian Quick on a really nice first down conversion. That, that was a hopeful pass if we saw it was Brian Quick, one target, one catch, a 15-yard game to extend that one drive on a nice uh, – a nice move right after the catch to extend it for the first time and convert for that. Um, I don't know that we have those answers. So when you talk about patience as the, as the watchword for the offense, I hope it's not for the season, Smith. I, I hope it's patience for a couple weeks, you know, maybe four, five, six more weeks going into the bye, patience to let them figure some stuff out because coming out of that bye, you got to get ready to fire. This is a team that if everything bounces their way over these next six games, these next seven games going into the bye, they're going to have a shot at the playoffs. There's a lot of winnable games. you got Dallas on the road coming up. I think they, the Rams certainly have a chance at that. San Francisco at home, as as difficult as that looks on paper, San Francisco's defense has looked a bit uh, less, uh, you know, indestructible this season, and certainly the Rams and their performances against San Francisco last year suggested that they can hang. Then you got Jacksonville at home. That's a game you have to win. That's a gimme game. You have to make the most of that. You go on the road to Houston and Carolina. I think the Rams can win one of those, either or. Uh, Seattle at home on the lone Monday night football game. And then you got Tennessee and Indianapolis. Both games are winnable. So you look at those games, you get three, four, maybe even five wins if everything rolls the Rams' way. Somewhere between four wins and six wins going, total going into the bye, and then you got six wins to finish out the season. So who knows what happens. But, you know, th- there's a lot of opportunity in front of the Rams. There's plenty to talk about and to help me do it. i got to bring on my man, VT, uh, obviously calling in right now. VT Rams fan coming on Touchdown Radio. VT, my man, what's up? Hey, what's going on, 3K? T, what's up, man? Hey, question for you. Question for you. What? Rams fans in New England, what is, what is the big concern right now? What is the what in terms of New England Rams fans? How often do you guys meet? What what is the big concern you around know, the it, table with all three of you guys? <laughs> in all honesty, I think I'm like the only Rams fan for miles, so <laughs> I, I can't answer as a group. But I have actually a couple of concerns, and you were just you were hitting the nail on the head just a couple of minutes ago is who's going to be that receiver that's going to step up to the plate. I mean, Jared Cook had me super excited in week one, and then basically, you know, was in the stands buying hot dogs in week two. I mean, what? I, that, I'm really confused by that, because he looked like nothing short of a beast there in, in game one. Uh, the other thing I'm concerned about, and I was I was actually a little concerned about this um, in the offseason, is when Steven Jackson left. Um you know, don't get me wrong, I love Daryl Richardson and all, but, you know, is he that back that, that can can do the job, you know? Uh, those are 
to me, the two biggest question marks. Obviously, safety is always going to be a question mark, at least for another year or two, until we can really solidify that and get some experience, mainly. But those, I think, are the two big question marks. Now, don't get me wrong. I think, the, as far as receivers go, I think the pieces are in place. I just think it just hasn't developed yet, just as you were saying. Uh, you know, Chris Givens, you know, he can stretch the field. Uh, Brian Quick, I think, can be an absolute monster uh, when he starts to get things together. And then you got Tavon Austin, who I don't even think we've really utilized him to the fullest yet. So I think the pieces are there, and it's going to be interesting to see how all this transgresses over the next, you know, year or two uh, in that aspect. Well, what do you, in terms of those first two games, if you're looking for somebody, who, who would be your guess, or who would you want to see in kind of that situation I mentioned, fourth, uh, fourth down, fourth quarter, Rams get the ball 10 minutes left, needing a touchdown to take a lead in the game. A field goal's not going to cut it. Who, who do you want to see kind of take over and, and kind of establish himself as a go-to target for, for Sam Bradford? I think at this point, Sam's kind of made a name for himself in his first two games. He's not going to be the problem for this team. I think if there's an issue, it's that between Chris Givens, between Jared Cook, Tavon Austin, and who knows, maybe Austin Pettis, Brian Quick, somebody's going to have to step up and be be yeah. that kind of that Keyshawn Johnson, throw me the damn ball type player. Who, uh, I who, agree. who are you hoping it depends on? Who, who do you think you know, becomes if, that guy? If I, if I were to say Tavon Austin, it would be kind of a cop-out. I mean, we all know he's got talent, and I, I just think it's a matter of time before he busts open. But I think, to me, Brian Quick, and, and I know I've been critical of him in the past, but I've seen, I don't know, I've seen flashes of him in the last couple of games, particularly the last game, obviously, um, where I think he's got the ability uh, to, to have that physicality that we've lacked at that position. Do you, under, you know what I'm saying? I, Tavon is, is a flashy, uh, you know, he can, he's fast, he can get away from people, but we're missing that physical receiver. And if, if I were to pick anybody, it would, it would be quick, because I'd really love to see him turn into that kind of T.O., who can go across the middle and, and make that tough catch in traffic and and, and get separation? Uh, you know, I, we've really sorely lacked that in the past, and I we saw glimpses of that a little bit this past week. Yeah, I'm interested to see moving forward who who get the chance at that. And I think Brian Quick, it, it's weird that he's getting so many limited opportunities now. Austin Pettis, I thought stepped up and, and in his limited yeah. opportunities did a. Uh, decent job. He certainly had a lot of targets in that last game. I think the position is something that's going to be really vital, and I think maybe it's less about Austin Pettis and more about the opportunity at that position yes. when you've got Chris Givens, Tavon Austin, and Jared Cook on the field, and you got an Atlanta defense that is wary of letting Givens over the top, making sure they've got guys able to bore down on Tavon Austin and not wanting a tight end to run all over them like they have historically putting guys on Cook. That left opportunities for Austin Pettis, and I think the Rams did a decent amount of exploiting that. Going into Dallas, I don't, I don't know what we're going to see from this defense. They've been all Me over either. the place against the Giants. Um, I just don't know, but I think it's going to be a fun opportunity to kind of maybe open up the playbook a little bit more. People have been, you know, Brian Schottenheimer is going to, because of his time with the Jets, he's going to get a fair share of criticism, and a lot of it is warranted. You know, we we saw it in week one. We saw it early on in the game in week two. The Rams have done themselves no damn favors in terms of field position, but certainly has and endeared himself to the fan base in terms of what he's been able to do in play calling in the first half. But maybe there's an opportunity to do that in Dallas. Is there something you want to see from the coaching staff? You know, penalties, play calling, uh, shoring up some of the blocking opportunities, all of the above. What What is it you're looking hopefully to see maybe in the first half that, that signals, okay, the coaching staff got this team ready to play in Dallas this week. 
Yeah, obviously the penalties are big. Uh, I mean, without the penalties, I think we could have had that game a lot closer or maybe even possibly won the game this week. Um, But really, there's one stat I'm looking at, 3K, that's really got me worried. And I'm not really hearing a lot of people talk about it because, you know, Dallas hasn't been doing all that great this year. But actually, two things. Number one, do you do you know that they're, they are actually ahead of us in sacks right now with seven? We've got six. So they can get after the quarterback, okay? Roger Saffold is dinged up again. What's new? And I've got an interesting fact about Roger Saffold. I don't know if a lot of people know. Now, when we drafted him, he was touted as being very durable. I don't know if anybody remembers that or not. He actually started 41 of 42 games in Indiana and complete, and he never missed a game. Okay, so a lot of people can maybe be critical of us drafting him, but hey, the, the, the facts were there. He was very durable, so I don't know what the heck's going on with him. But the, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about sacks, and there's another important statistic I'm worried about is Dallas is fourth in the league in, in turnover ratio. They're plus three, okay? So I think if we can protect Sam, which another thing I'll bring up is that he's had one of the best two games in a row I've ever seen him have. Why? We haven't allowed a sack. <laughs> he hasn't been pressured. Um, so I, if we can if we can protect Sam again, eliminate penalties, and be careful of that turnovers, right, not turn over the ball, we've, we've, we're probably going to win this football game. I mean, it really comes down to those three statistics. Um, th- that's, th- those three things, if we can do those three things, I, I'm confident that we're going to win this football game. What do, you, what do you think about that defense in terms of facing guys like Miles Austin, Des Bryant, Jason Witten, and obviously somebody like Tony Romo? You know, Tony Romo is going to get his as as volatile as his play is, as unpredictable as some of the plays he makes and doesn't make are. Well, what do you what do you hope the Rams are able to do with him? Is it a matter of coming out with the same coverage shell early on, forcing him to go underneath, and then trying to? make some adjustments to make him uncomfortable, let the defensive line force him into some throws he shouldn't be making, which we know Tony Romo's prone to do. Well, yes. What do you think you you want the Rams to come out with, and how do you want them to, to play into Tony Romo and this Cowboys offense? Well, I, I'll tell you this right now. If we come out playing a soft zone like we did against Atlanta last week, he's going to pick us apart. I mean, when you've got weapons like Miles Austin and Witten and, you know, I really think we need to more be more physical and be more aggressive, maybe going to some cover too. Um, but when we play that soft zone, I was cringing last week. Absolutely. And actually, it's been the last couple weeks. Um, and, and I think a lot of it is based on our confidence at the safety position. I don't know how you feel about that. Sure. But I, I'm really worried that Romo – hey, let's face it. Romo is not a horrible quarterback. And you give him time, and he's going to pick you apart just as much as Tom Brady will, just as much as any other quarterback in the league is going to do it. So um, we got to figure out a way to, if we're playing the soft zone, um, hey, we're going to need to blitz a lot more than we have been. Um, and that's another thing I think we haven't been doing as much as I'd like to see. Uh, but if we go into that soft zone again, <laughs> it's going to be, a, I'm afraid, a long, a, long, uh, a long day for the Rams' defense, which I definitely don't want to see. Yeah, I was worried a couple times the Rams blitzed against Atlanta, and they weren't able to get to Matt Ryan. The, the Falcons no. picked it up really well. It made things so easy. I mean, that, that's yep. one of those risk-reward things is when you go after the blitz, 
yeah, you have the opportunity to put some pressure on the quarterback, and even if he throws it underneath, hopefully you got a guy there. But the the risk there, <laughs> and the opposite of the reward, is if you don't get there, he's got time to look downfield where there's going to be somebody open, and worst comes to worst, you got a one-on-one play. So it, 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 I thought it was a relatively risky call those couple times that they did blitz in the past, yeah, pass, but they knew was. passes were coming. But we're going to have to see. Dallas is a much more volatile team. They do, the coaching staff has so much pressure on them between, you know, the fact that this is Jason Garrett in the year that he's in. He's got Monty Kiffin on the staff. He's got Wade Wilson on the staff. You know, Jerry, Jerry Jones doesn't need much of an excuse to move on from Jason Garrett after this season. If they don't make the playoffs, they're in a tough spot. It's going to be interesting to see how they, how they come out in this game and face us. Um, lo- looking towards the coaching staff, what, what do you think – uh, in terms of Brian Schottenheimer, maybe Tim Walder or Jeff Fisher, what what are your takeaways from the coaches so far early this season? You mentioned the penalties. How much of that do you put on the coaching staff? You know what? I, I don't put a lot of it on the coaching staff, only because, hey, we are a young football team. However, um, Jeff Fisher has clearly stated in a lot of press conferences that sometimes an aggressive team will get penalized. I don't know if you've ever heard him say that. I've heard him say that multiple times. So I don't think he's as critical on players. I, I think what he is, he's a he's a, a coach who wants his team aggressive. Okay, and if you're going to be aggressive, um, play. You know, you got players like Corlin Finnegan. He, he he has a hard time containing himself at times. So when he's playing extremely aggressive, he's going to get a penalty here and there. But the Rams aren't at that point now as a football team where they can have the penalties they're having and still have a chance at the football game. Um, and I think that as time goes on and we can score more points and get a little better on defense, I think that the pen, even though we might still be somewhat heavily penalized at times, particularly in you know personal fouls occasionally here and there, I don't think it's going to be as big a deal. Nobody's going to be talking about it as much as they are now. But obviously right now it's a huge deal for us. Um, I don't put all of it on the coaching staff, but I think it is, you, it is partly to blame, particularly Jeff Fisher, because I've heard him say it before that, uh, not that he wants us to be penalized, but he said, hey, an aggressive football team will get penalties. And I don't think he's talking about holding calls or offsides. I think he's particularly talking about, you know, the, uh, you know, personal foul penalties occasionally and so on and so forth. But, but hey, you know, part of it does lie on the coaching staff. Let's, let's be real, you know. Yeah, and in the end, it's their responsibility to try to clean some stuff up. Um, we had a caller on the line, man. I was about to bring them on. Unfortunately, it looks like they gave up, and I'm a little bit hurt because I was about to bring them on. Oh. I, was about to, I was about to bring on our sweet little caller on the texture radar. Um, Pete, let me ask you one more question. Uh, what, what do you think sure. going into this game? What are your predictions? If you had to guess what is the tenor of the game, what happens first half, who adjusts second half, what do you think is going to happen? How does it end up? I can honestly see this becoming a defensive game. Um, I think that, you know, I think two weeks is enough. I think Fisher's seen all he wants to see with this soft zone coverage, and I think he's going to make some adjustments. Um, I think the Rams' defense is going to pick up right where they left off. I can see a couple of turnovers apiece in this game. I can see it being kind of a defensive battle. Um, and it's going to come down to – it could very well come down to whoever's got the ball last. That That's the type of game I'm kind of predicting. Um I do have some interesting facts about this uh, all-time matchup between the Cowboys and Rams. It's, Lay it uh, on us, man. It's, it's interesting because this is like the 23rd meeting, and the series is tied 11-11. In the playoffs, um, it's 4-4, four to four, <laughs> dead even there. And no team has ever won more than two in a row, which wow. is very interesting. Um, 
there is one more thing, uh, 3K, that I think could bite us in the rear end this week, and that's special mm-hmm. teams. Uh, Dallas sure. right now is like second in the league in kickoff returns. Um, however, uh, we're we're fifth in coverage. <laughs> so, and, and actually, we're both ranked like right next to each other in points per game. You know, eleventh and tenth, with the Cowboys being tenth. So, again, this could be one of those games where whoever gets the ball last wins. And and I, I really think it's going to be like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And you, you mentioned special teams. As bad as the Rams were in terms of avoiding penalties on the, uh, the receiving end of punts, and as good as they were, just at fifth uh, in terms of punt coverage, right? Yep. The one yeah, thing I'm, I mean, they, I'm shocked on is the Rams are 29th in the league in punt returns. I never would have guessed that, ever. But yet we're third, tied for third in the league in punt coverage. Yeah, I think part, just, of, part of the problem is that they they haven't done a good job opening holes for Tavon Austin. Those couple returns yep. that he didn't fair catch, I mean, there was nowhere for him to go. He was getting nowhere. swallowed up. And I think it, I think it was around the third quarter or something I mentioned. You know, the Rams, they come day three of this draft, they may start looking for just guys who can contribute on special teams, you know, backup linebackers, backup running backs, backup wide receivers who are able to contribute on special teams because right now this special team receiving unit looks horrible. Between it's, the, it's the, the flags and yeah, and the lack of opportunity for Tavon Austin, but hopefully yep. we see him get going, man. In terms of if you had to pick a score, if you had to pick a winner, if you had to put it on the line, what do you think? Twenty-four, uh, twenty-one, St. Louis. I like I like that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit bigger for St. Louis. I think this is a game where they start to get it together. I think Dallas is. Uh, they're so volatile. I think with the kind of that we present them with and what they've faced so far in New York and Kansas City, I think maybe we extract a little bit more volatility on the negative side for them. I'm going to take Rams by 10. I'm going to take just 28 to awesome. 18. I think it's going to be an interesting game and maybe some wacky plays, a, a safety, yep. a two-point conversion here and there. We've seen it already in this early NFL season. I think maybe this is a game for us that things get a little bit crazy and we get on the better side. Yep, and I mentioned you know a defensive battle, even though it's 24-21, but I do see the defense, each defense scoring in this game. Um, I, I can, see I can that. envision yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, hey, you must be excited. Your guys, uh, you're going to see your guy again, George Selvey. Um, I had no idea he was he was on the Cowboys until uh, a couple days ago. I saw him on on the sheet, and I said, "Holy crap, <laughs> George Selvey!" Three K's been pretty good. And not only is he on the team, he's been. I mean, in terms of he's what been, he's contributed. He's, regular, yeah, he's been having an interesting season. I don't know if the Rams want to be reminded of that on Sunday <laughs> when they go. Now, that being said, I, I don't think the Rams are all that worried about the backup depth on the defensive line. But, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, you never want to face a guy that you let go that comes back no. to bite you in, in a game yep. where you're facing him. But, yeah, I mean, yep. he, he's been a guy that uh, has stood out so far this season. And certainly there, there's no team that doesn't want more backup depth along their defensive line. So far, he's got a sack, uh, and I think he's got four or five yeah. tackles, something like that. Yeah, um, he does. So he's he's in the stat sheets pretty solid. Yeah, I, I noticed that. There's one other yeah. thing I want to say, too, is uh, I did not get to see some of the first half of the Falcons game, but when I first turned the TV on, guess what I saw? Roger Saffold getting on a cart. <laughs> and I immediately, <laughs> said to, I immediately said to myself, I already know the score is not going to be good just by seeing that. And sure enough, it was like 21-3, right? But so I just want to say that we can when blame I started you. watching because... the game, yes. At, no, no. Actually, when I turned the TV on and that happened, the Rams won 21-10. to 
<laughs> so when I started watching the game, we actually I saw us winning the whole game. I didn't get to see the first half, the first part when we were losing. So I will be watching the entire game this week. So that's good for the Rams. See, I'd, ma- I'd make a Schrodinger's cat reference right now, but I don't want to alienate the audience. So the one thing I learned in in college when my friends were hosting radio shows: never cite philosophical theoretical constructs on a radio show. You'll just lose about half of your audience. So I will I will heed that I will heed that advice, and we'll just leave it at that. Hey, Pete, I appreciate you coming on. Everybody's VT Radio saying you can follow that. Peter Dunbar on Twitter, and you know it's VT Rams on official times. As always, thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot, 3K. Have a good one. You too, man. Yep. Peter Gumbar, everybody. VT Rams fan. Fun stuff. Um, we are past the better part of the hour now on Tertial Radio, so I guess it's time to turn it towards the back stretch. I was hoping for a couple more callers tonight. We had one. I was hoping to stretch VT a little bit more and then get our caller in at the end. Uh, we're going to have to motivate you guys. Maybe we got to do some uh, throwaways, some giveaways, some prizes. Uh, maybe having Joe Barksdale on the show, we'll do just that. But we'll see what we got coming up. Douglas, I'm sure, is going to line some good stuff up uh, for us from the production booth. He's done a great job these first two shows, and we certainly appreciate everything Douglas does for us on the site, on the show. You guys know Doug. When I say appreciate what he does for us, hell, he does more than I do. So got to appreciate Doug at all times, man. Um, so, yeah, I think that wraps up about what we've got in front of us and what we've had behind us to this point. Two interesting games where the Rams were playing come from behind and one situation where they got it done, another that left them lacking against a better team in Atlanta than what they faced in Arizona. And so I, I think the reality is they, they can't put themselves in that position more often than not if they want to try to put themselves like they were last year in a situation where they're looking at a playoff berth. If they want to be in that that graphic, you know, you're watching the, the early game, week 15, and they look at the NFC playoff picture, and you see the St. Louis Rams somewhere in that. If they continue to have these kind of first halves, they're just not going to be there. Uh, so they, they've got to figure a way to uh, mitigate the youth, whether that's youth in terms of how it affects safety play the special teams units, especially punt return, youth in terms of offensive skill players and who they're relying on, guys like Daryl Richardson, Zach Stacey, Isaiah Peed, uh, Tavon Austin, Stedman, Bailey, Brian Quick, Chris Givens, all either rookies or second-year guys. Um, they got to figure out a way to put a more comprehensive game plan together that gets them through 60 minutes and specifically through those first 30 minutes where they're not having to call themselves out and rely on Sam Bradford's experience and comfortable uh, his, his level of comfort uh, facing NFL defenses to be able to get them back into a game. It's just not going to work. But if we're looking ahead even further beyond this game, I got Doug. This is one thing we got to work on. We got to get some kind of a sound effect for NFL draft slash college. Maybe it's just a uh, a lightning strike or an uh, atomic bomb, just a funk master flex type bomb. Um, if we're looking forward to that 2014. A draft explosion. Uh, looking forward to this weekend. You know, this is the one weekend where if you're a draft fan, you probably have it better than the college fans because the games on the whole aren't that good. This is not a college friendly slate. And coming off of a uh, weekend where we had Alabama, Texas A&M, featured probably a dozen NFL prospects uh, by the time all is said and done. 
it's not it's not well more guys that are going to feature on some NFL teams, but at the back end, practice squads, things like that. You're looking at a lot of guys on A&M. You got obviously Johnny Football is going to get the headlines, but you look at wide receiver Mike Evans, uh, left tackle Jake Matthews, who played right tackle last year. Those guys who play Alabama's probably got 20 prospects on their own. So in terms of a draft situation, yeah, it, it was a great contest from a college perspective, though. That was as good as it gets. You look ahead to this weekend, and there's not a ton there. You, you open up on Thursday. You got Clemson in North Carolina State. Boise, Fresno uh, fills in on Friday. The Saturday slate is pretty weak. You've got teams like my North Texas, Alma Mater, facing Georgia. There's no reason we should subject people to that. That's just not fair. Louisville, Florida International. Ohio State against Florida A&M. This is one of those off weeks that a lot of teams are going to take to try to get ready. I do have a game of the week, though, and it is not the Arizona State-Stanford game. That's going to be at 7 o'clock on Fox. If you happen to catch that, there's plenty of talent there. Uh, Hogan. Um, Will Sutton on Arizona State. There's a lot of guys on both sides that are going to factor into the draft, not only this year, but moving forward, especially if uh, Stanford continues to build that program. You, you look later in the evening, you got LSU Auburn at 745. That's a good SEC uh, matchup. LSU is always stacked with talent. They're ranked number six right now. Auburn, not so, but you know, if, if you've watched college football in the last couple of years, Auburn LSU is one of those big rivals. Um, Moving into the late evening, you got a good uh, kind of uh, the battle of uh, the Book of Mormon, Utah at Brigham Young, ESPN 2, 10, 15. That's going to be a fun game to watch. Kyle Van Noy on the Brigham Young side, Utah trying to put that program back together. If you can make it into the evening, that's late if you're not on the East Coast, or even if you are and you can stay up later than me, that's worth watching. But for my game of the week, I have to take one of the more classic rivalries from the 80s and 90s that to this point, has weakened a little bit thanks to one of the competitors, and that's Tennessee, Florida. That's the uh, volunteers heading to the swamp when they go to Gainesville to play the face again. It's going to be a 3:30 on CBS. You saw a lot of classic battles in years past. Guys like Eric Berry against Tim Tebow. Uh, you had uh, uh, Tyler Brady going against uh, you know uh, the, that entire defense for Florida, and who knows if Janoris Jenkins had been there for his last couple of years, what he could have done for that Gator team. It, it, it's always interesting when those two get together because it, either they're both in the top ten or it seems like neither of them are. Now, that wasn't the case when uh, Tim Tebow was there, but it was when, you know, entering that Chris Leak era, the Peyton Manning era, T. Martin for Tennessee. You go back to Keith Schuler as far back as that. And I know I'm starting to date myself for some of our younger listeners who are like, who's T. Martin? Keith Schuler, isn't he in Congress? Yeah, he is in Congress. I do feel kind of old. But you look at a – that Florida-Tennessee game from a draft perspective, there's a bunch of guys worth watching. And I think for Rams fans, oddly enough, it may not be the Florida Gators that they want to watch, despite the fact that Florida is ranked 19th in the country. It's Tennessee because that offensive line is sacked. you got two offensive tackles in Antonio Richardson and Jawan James who are worth watching. you got Zach Fulton at guard. Uh, you've got James Stone at center. All of them could find themselves uh, draft picks. Uh, and for, I think, maybe Antonio Richardson and Jawan James, they could find themselves certainly early on in the draft. Antonio Richardson specifically looks like he could possibly be a first-round pick. So you look at those guys and you look at the size. Richardson comes in at 6'6", 326, or 327. Jawan James and the other tackles coming in at 6'6", 318. They've both got plenty of size to play the right side. 
Um, not as much as Daniel McCullers. There's going to be a lot of teams that are looking at Daniel McCullers because he can play those tackles. Six six three fifty one, beast of a man. Move, hey, for three fifty one, he moves well. And for people who saw, and for some of those Cowboy fans who may still be listening, who saw Dontari Pope out of Memphis, you can see what the modern athletic Mills tackle can do in the NFL. For Rams fans, bringing that back, you got James Stone at center. Now he's a little bit undersized, so he may fit the Rams scheme a little bit better, but. Uh, we'll have to see. It's a great game to see because they're facing a Florida defense, and the defensive line they can bring the pain. Um, but Tennessee's got defensive prospects in their own right. They got maybe the best middle linebacker in college football, AJ Johnson. I got a couple others that I ranked before. I got to get to some of my big boys before the season's over. Uh, but Tennessee's definitely got some prospects. We're looking out. Um, for Florida, it, I, I think for the most part, everybody's going to focus on the cornerbacks because they're three deep. You got Lucius Porafoy, you got Marcus Roberson, Jalen Watkins. All three of those guys could go early on in this draft. That's three cornerbacks. I don't remember the last time. Maybe uh, Alabama a couple years back when they sent uh, three and we picked up um, in the seventh round. Who do we pick up? It was that Javier Arenas when he went early. Uh, gosh, who was it? It was Marcus. I forget now. But we picked up their uh, third cornerback. So they sent three to the draft, but that went deep into the seventh. Florida could do the same, but they could do it well earlier. It's going to be interesting to see how they play against this offense because Tennessee still gets so much figured out besides that offensive line. But really for Florida, I think the best prospect that they probably have is Dominique Easley, defensive tackle. Uh, getting uh, he, He's got a frame that can put on a lot more weight. He's listed at 285 right now. He's going to be somebody that a lot of teams who are looking for a 4-3, three-tech are looking at. He can move all over the place, really versatile. But for Rams fans who are looking for some guys off the cuff, look at uh, Jonathan Harrison and John Jalapio. Uh, uh, guard and center, or excuse me, center and guard, respectively. Uh, you're going to want to get a look at that interior line. They got plenty of size. Harrison's at 310. Jalapio's at 320. So they've certainly got the size to be able to compete in the NFL. It's going to be a good battle uh, dealing with McCullers and the rest of that Tennessee defensive line. And anytime you go against Tennessee, Florida, you get the pageantry, you get the whole show. It's going to be fun to see. So. Uh want to thank everybody for calling. We had some good guests. We had KD Drummond again from Blog and the Boys coming on talking about Cowboys, BT Rams fans, obviously from our TST staff, but we had no callers. I see Smith 20 saying they thought there were a bunch of callers. You can never assume, folks. So here's the charge. Here's the charge for next week. I'm going to put it on myself. Doug and I are going to blast you guys on the site, on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Yammer, on Eventbrite, on Tumblr, on MySpace. We may just show up at your house and just start knocking at your door. We need five callers. I want five callers for the next show after Tennessee, Florida, after the Rams get a win in in Cowboy country, looking ahead to another week of college football where we're going to get much better scouting. I know everybody's like, Tennessee, Florida, don't worry. Next weekend we got LSU, Georgia. We got Oklahoma, Notre Dame. You got Texas A&M, Arkansas. You got Ole Miss, Alabama. If you guys haven't scoped this Ole Miss team, they probably got the the best freshman class in the country and they're playing like it too. And if they get a big win over Texas, everybody's going to be on that 2016 Ole Miss NFL draft train. So get on it early. I appreciate everybody listening. For those of you that aren't listening live and happen to throw this in your iTunes and your iPod, I appreciate you guys throwing it in there. So does Douglas. So does everybody for Tour Show Times. Brian Van Bibber, Brian Burkhead, Brandon Bates. Brian Burkhead, Brandon Burkhead. It's too late in the show, man. We can't drop names. The mass is there if you want it. At the front of TourShowTimes.com, you know what it is. The one pod that brings you Rams talk and socks. And we'll have more socks next week, I promise. It's Tour Show Radio. Go Rams. Get that win in Dallas. Holler at me next time. See you.
Rams are big, bad, jacky, and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scoffs. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to rapping. We can't sing, and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zeta. Nobody dresses with it. Run to this cool as a quarterback and I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night.
Go Rams. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay, and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Aloha, I'm Clifford from your Manoa Safeway. Can't decide what to eat? Whether it's lunch or dinner, you'll find a perfect meal in the Safeway Deli. Handcrafted sandwiches, fresh sushi prepared by our in-house chefs, signature salads, our famous fried chicken and tenders. Add a side like creamy mashed potatoes or mac and cheese. All fresh and ready to go every day. Stop by this week to get a hot deal on rotisserie chicken, only $5.88 each with in-hand coupon. This is Clifford from Manoa Safeway, and we'll see you soon. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.